Well, it's so great to have you with us today. And uh, we hope you're doing well wherever you are. We're in a series called Flex Your Faith. So right now I want you to do your best flex. I don't know, your best pose. Uh, as a church, I'm saying in this time, in fact, right around the world, I believe the church needs to put its faith on display. Well, we're going to dive into the Word of God uh, today. And uh, one thing I want to say is when you become a Christian, uh, God doesn't just improve your life. He gives you a brand new life. That's exciting. You and I get a brand new life. And the Apostle Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we're going to go there. If you've got a Bible, a tablet, or a phone, maybe you wish to go there, or it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us. You know, we're not driven by anything else as a church, but the love of God. The love of God compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, let's say these three words together. From now on. There are three powerful words. Yeah, you know, from now on, from this moment, you know, what was before is no longer. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. And get this, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given you and I, now in this new life, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Come on, if you're a born again believer, you are ambassador for Christ. As though God were pleading uh, through us, we employ you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Wow, there's some loaded verses right there. Some verses that we need to get our head around. Right now in the world, we're, we're navigating a whole lot of uncertain times. There's a whole lot of things happening in this world where many people are searching for answers. And the danger is we approach the things we face through the lens of our past. I don't believe we can accurately view the future without understanding that we have a new life in Christ. See, when you view your future through your past, your future is going to be distorted. And it's only when we come to God and we allow Him to, to make our life new that we can see things as they really are. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but right now it's hard to understand all the stuff that's going on. Uh, the world's in a crisis in, in many places. In fact, with COVID, with the pandemic, uh, many would have heard the expression, uh, we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And I, I really believe in this time is to recognize 
you know, how people view things. If we're going to flex our faith, what we need to bring answers to the world around us is we need the wisdom of God. Because it's only God who sees things as they really are. And it's only God's, a God who can provide answers, lasting answers into people's lives. Uh, right now, there's, there's people on one side and a group of people on the other side. I believe God's given you and I the ministry of reconciliation. You know, bridge uh, divides that, that man can't cross, God can. And he, we've been reconciled to Him. And now we've been given this ministry of reconciliation to cross the impossible divides, to pro, cross chasms that can't be crossed in the natural. Because God knows everything. And He has answers for every situation. I, I, I heard of the story about six blind men and an elephant. And six blind men were trying to figure out uh, by touch what the elephant was. And one went up to the side, he touched the side of the elephant, and he said, oh, it's a wall. And then the other guy went to the back of the elephant, very dangerous. He pulled the tail and he says, oh, it's a, it's a rope. Another person went to the trunk and, and held onto the trunk and he said, oh, it's a snake. And somebody touched the tusk and said, oh, it's, it's a spear. And then another one went to the elephant in the ears and said, oh, it's a, it's a fan. And so all of them had different perspectives on what they were touching. But how many know they were touching the same thing? And what I want to suggest to you today, it's, it's only God who sees the full elephant. Each and every one of us only see in part. And it's in our coming together, we get the full picture of what God is doing and what God wants to do. Now, now how many people here would say they're a judgmental person? Some people can lift their hands right now. How many would say they're non-judgmental? Some may lift their hands there. But I challenge to say in life, we all have biases. We all have lenses through which we see the world. We are all prejudiced. In fact, the word prejudice simply means to prejudge. Prejudge. We, we prejudge things all the time. We have dispositions, we have leanings. And every day, you and I make judgment calls. Now, in the world today, that word judging is a dirty word. But the reality is, we do it all the time. All, all the time, every day. We're, we're judging things for a single person who gets asked out on a date. They have to make a judgment call as to whether that person is safe or whether they are attracted to that person. There's a judgment call that needs to be made. They need to say yes, no, or maybe a diplomatic no. Um, here's the deal. You're not a bad person because you judge. In fact, we've got elections coming up at the end of the year. Yeah, what are you doing at the end of, at the end of the year? In September, not at the end of the year, in September, you're, if you're exercising your right to vote, then you're making a judgment. Uh, jury members, they judge defendants. Interviewers judge applications. Teachers judge students. Simon Cowell, he just judges. Yeah, you know, people and leaders, uh, we're, we're judging all the time. And, and just because you judge doesn't mean you're judgmental. You know, when, when it comes to being judgmental, that's a spirit that condemns people. But to judge is to properly distinguish, is to pronounce an opinion concerning a matter. It's, it's like, okay, I, I think this way. 
And, and as people, we're, we're going to make decisions. In fact, so many people, oh, I can't make any decision. Well, the fact that you're choosing not to make a decision is a decision. And, and we're all making decisions. In fact, leading a church and leading a movement can be quite freaky sometimes because you've got to make decisions. Otherwise, everybody's going to be held up and, and we can't actually move forward. And so as believers, we've got to be good at our assessments. We've got to be good at judging things. We've got to get good at getting context is another way to put it. Now, now when it comes to judging, you've got to understand in the church, we're called to. And Paul in, in, in the first book of Corinthians actually speaks about this when it comes to dealing with sin. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, When I wrote to you before, I, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or cheat or people who worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. That's true. He says, I mean, not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats. It says, don't even eat with such people. Verse 12, now I want you to get this. He says, it isn't my responsibility to judge others, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the Scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Wow, that's a heavy verse. You know, many people today, oh, stop judging me. Well, here's the thing. If you're a believer, we're actually called to judge, to make assessments. You know, if you're a non-believer, it's like, hey, you know, we're not judging. There's no, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. And, and what's Paul doing? He's setting a context in which you're to make decisions. Now, now you've got to understand, there's countless ways in which you and I judge people. If somebody stumbles, trips up, we might call them clumsy. If somebody speaks rudely to us, we might call them mean. When somebody tailgates us at high speed, we may call them some other choice word. But how often do we get it wrong? See, see our judgments are at a great risk of a variety of biases. That's why context is so important. Now, many of you would have seen the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, a movie by Will Smith. And he found himself in a very desperate situation. And there was one scene that really stuck out to me in that movie. It was a scene when he was rushing to get to the shelter because he realized if he didn't get there in time, that he would have no accommodation for him and his son for that night. And he's rushing at the end of the workday to get there and he goes to catch the bus and there's a line of people queuing up to get on the bus. In that moment, he, he passes all the people, just jumps the queue and jumps on the bus. And when I was watching that, it got me thinking, I wonder how the other people in the queue felt about him jumping the queue. Now, we knew the context of what was going on and we said, do whatever it takes. But many of them wouldn't have known the context. Some of them were thinking, oh, who are you? What are you doing? I've been waiting here. But if you understood the context that he needed to, he was in a rush and he needed to get to the shelter, otherwise he had no place to sleep, you'd go, hey, go ahead of me. But context gives understanding. Question is, you know, 
Have you ever tailgated somebody before? You know, in traffic, have you ever cut it in? Because are all high-speed tailgaters idiots? See, see, what happens when we try and explain the same behavior in ourselves? You know, if we stumble, are we clumsy? No, maybe we go, oh, no, I got pushed. If we're tailgated, you know, we have a reason. Oh, I was running late for an interview or a relative just died. I needed to get there in time. Have you noticed that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone driving faster than you is a maniac? But yet we are all the time trying to justify how we're approaching life. And we try and explain our behaviors, especially the negative ones. And when we try and explain it, what do we do? We provide context. See, there's a difference in how we judge ourselves versus how we judge others. Sometimes for the same identical behaviors. How often have we got mad at our kids for acting like us? Now, could it be that we have double standards? Could it be that sometimes we speak out of both sides of our mouth or with a pot calling the kettle black? Now, in Christianity, people say, well, I, you know, I discern, and that's how I make assessments. I discern. And God's given us the gift to discern. But there's a danger in many places that, that we go from discernment quickly to judgment. I mean, no, you and I can get it wrong. We can discern things wrong. We can discern people wrong. We can discern situations wrong. Our antenna may be up, but we've got, we're tuned into the wrong frequency. In psychology, they, they call it FAE, fundamental attribution error. It's, it's where we attribute the wrong things to a situation or a circumstance. And so often uh, we, we can discern something and we quickly go to judgment really quickly. Discernment's really important. But before we go to judgment, what we've got to do is create a context where we can test what we're discerning. And so often we go from here, we read a social media post and we make a, a judgment assessment, just boom, on the spot. But how often have we got things wrong? See, see, context brings clarity. And it's so important that you and I seek to understand the context in which people have been said, uh, of what's been said and what's been done. I like Proverbs chapter 20, uh, verse two to three. It's talking about leaders and it says, quick-tempered leaders, well, you could put parents, you could put bosses, you could put anyone in that. Quick-tempered people are like mad dogs. Cross them and they bite your head off. It's a mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights. You know, how many people you know are just looking for a fight right now? Just over many things, just looking to be contentious, looking to stir the pot. That's what the world doesn't need. And these people who are actually saying, how can we help? How can we be a solution to some of the issues that are around us. Now, now I wanna give you 10 things. Yes, that's right. I've got 10 points today. I wanna give you 10 things that help us get context. So we're gonna go through these really quickly. If we're to get context, number one, what we need to do is we need to ask questions rather than make statements. See, a statement 
can be a, be a quick judgment of something. If you ask a question, what you're drawing out, you're drawing out what's in a person. You're drawing out their thought process. You're seeking to get understanding, not, not, not just of what they've done, but why they've done it. See, see, many people today, they ask questions, but they ask questions to prove a point rather than to get understanding. In fact, if you talk about something that's really you know, a hot topic, controversial, uh, the best thing to do is actually ask questions. Ask questions because when you ask questions, you're getting context rather than making statements. Uh, Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, stay away from foolish arguments of the immature for these disputes will only generate more conflict. Uh, a whole lot of things, you know, people writing commentaries, doing different things. In some places, they're not helping. In fact, they're just escalating things. Uh, conflict's growing, not diminishing. And you've got to understand, as believers, we've been given this ministry of what? Reconciliation. Uh, not, uh, we're not there to stir the pot. We're, we're there to point people to Jesus and, and get understanding there. You know, it's... it's a post, just even on social media, it doesn't change things. You know, even when you go, get into a debate there, sometimes what you've got is just people defending their position. And, and sometimes, just like a marriage, you know, if you get into a debate with your spouse, how many know if you're seeking to win that argument, you haven't won? If you're married, you'd know what I'm talking about. In marriage, there's never a win-lose situation. If you thought, think you've won, you've lost. And that's why it's so important that, that, that in our approach, we don't stir up more conflict. Number two, if, if we're to get context, we need to seek to understand people's why before we question their what. See, see, you and I, no doubt, we love to be judged by our motives, by our heart. Oh, you've got to hear the heart behind what I'm saying. Because sometimes we can't get the right words out. We struggle to articulate what's in our spirit. And so we like people to hear our heart. Not, we don't want to be judged by our words. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I use the wrong words. You know, it doesn't come out right. I'm saying you, you've got to hear the heart. And, but we judge, so often we judge others by their words and their actions. But we want to be judged by our heart and our motives. You know, it's so important that, that, that we don't just judge people's what, but we understand why they are responding in the way that they're responding. You know, we're understanding the circumstances that are causing them to act the way they're acting. Because then we're not just looking at things from a surface level. And, and so to get context, we need to seek to understand people's why before we question their want. Number three, if we're to get context, we need to be generous in our measure. Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse 37 to 38, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put back into your bosom. Listen to this, for the same measure, the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. you know, the measure of grace you desire to receive in fact, should be the measure of grace that you give somebody else. Paul 
talks about this in Galatians chapter six. He says, if, if a, a brother, somebody around you falls, does something stupid, he says, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. Not harshly, not, oh, you're an idiot. No, restore them gently, lest you also be tempted. Here's the deal. None of us are above being dumb. None of us are beyond stupid. And we've got to make sure we extend the same grace to other people that we wish to receive ourselves. Number four, if we don't understand context, we need to be generous in our measure. But number four, we need to discuss the issue, not the person. It's so easy to personalize things, make it personal. You know, I like a good debate. I like a good argument. I like d- discussing the issue. But when things get personal, you know, the issue can get lost. You know, as a leader, you know, people can make commentaries on what you're doing all the time. In fact, early on, I've been leading the church 20 years this year. But early on in my leadership, I had a guy sit down with me. Uh, we're at a cafe and I was thinking, oh man, this guy wants to get involved in church. He wants to serve sat down in the cafe, had a coffee, you know, made some small talk. Then he pulled out a piece of paper and I'll go, oh, what's this? And then he listed off 10 things he didn't like about the church and my leadership. Right at that point, it was easy to take that personally. But I, I, I thought to myself, man, I'm just doing my best. You know, I know I've got a heart to see the kingdom of God extended. I don't need to wear that. In fact, I'm going to shake that off and, and just keep moving forward. See, see a lot of the time, when we judge things, we make it personal. In fact, when somebody comes to the end of an argument, sometimes what they'll do is they'll mock because they've got nothing else. They're left high and dry. And so, well, I've got nothing else to offer in this, so, so I'm just going to criticize you. And we've got to watch that in discussing things because... Because how we respond to criticism is really important. In fact, Proverbs 15 verse 1 says in the Passion Translation, respond gently when you're confronted and you'll diffuse the rage of another. How many conflicts have escalated because we've reacted rather than responded? It says responding with sharp cutting words will only make it worse. Don't you know that being angry can ruin the testimony of even the wisest of men? It can ruin the anger. See, see, see we've, we've got to make sure that, that we respond right. And we've got to be careful. I like New Zealand humor, but we've got to be careful when it goes into mocking. Mocking is dangerous and, and when we get personal. In fact, Proverbs 22 verse 10 says, Throw out the mocker and the fighting goes too. Quarrels and insults will disappear. You know, how often do you see on a thread where somebody just attacks the person rather than talks about the issue? I think we'd be a lot further on if we kept it issue-centered rather than making it personal. Number five, I hope this is helping you today, is number five is be quick to listen. James puts it this way in James 1.19. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be all quick to listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So what are we to be? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. So often we're fast to speak and we're slow to listen. But we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to 
to get angry. Uh, that's some point. Listen. Listen, you know, the, the danger is sometimes uh, we're listening, but we're thinking of how we're going to respond rather than actually listening. Let's listen. Listen to people's perspective. Be open to seeing things from a different point of view. Now, number six, if, if we're to create context, we need to make sure that we keep the conversation open. If we're to see change, this is, not going to happen in a moment. It's not going to be one conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. In fact, we're seeing massive change in the movement we're a part of. Many, many prophesied years ago that it wouldn't survive. But there's a group of leaders over time have just gone on, had conversations that's brought significant change, that, that, that's positioned the movement where it is today. But, but we realized it wasn't going to happen in a year. It wasn't going to happen in two years. In fact, a lot of it was a conversation that lasted 20 years. And as a result of keeping the conversation open, we were able to bring significant change. So many people close off the conversation and they leave it there. I found if you're talking about stuff, sometimes you actually need to say, hey, let's come back to that. Because how many have ever gone home from a meeting and thought, man, I wish I said that. You know, I wish I said that or, or thought about what the other person said and you got a different perspective on it. That's why I reckon e-groups that meet weekly or fortnightly are really cool because you can have good conversations, but you can come back to it. Don't get offended over one conversation. Come, on, come back and say, oh, what were you meaning when you said that? In today's world, everybody just wants to write things. I, I challenge to say, if you're dealing with issues, Emails are just there to confirm details. They shouldn't be a place of conversation. In fact, a lot of people today like to just send texts and email simply because it's like, well, I'm in control of this conversation. But there's nothing like face-to-face. Because emojis, yeah, you may be able to communicate tone a little bit, but there's nothing like hearing the tone of, of what's been said. And how often are things misrepresented because we've just just read something, but we've taken it out of context? I, I, I'd say when, when I, I need to speak to somebody, I go, okay, I need to get on the phone. And even then, in the conversation, if it, if it doesn't go well, let's come back. Let's talk about it again. Let, let's see God. Let, let, let's, let, let's see what God can do in the middle of this. And let's not give up on one another. Number seven is if we're to create context, we need to personalize and own our convictions. People today, you know, love to use the language they and people are saying. They say, you know, sometimes I've asked people, oh, well, who's they? And they can't give you names. And if they do give you names, a big they, I've found is two or three people. We're going to make sure that we don't use other people's names to push our agenda. I think if we're to move forward, it's, it's important that people personalize and own their convictions. Not, not try and be a representative for other people. In fact, if other people got issues, yeah, why don't you go? You, you need to say to that person, why don't you go talk to the person that you got an issue with? That's an instruction. Jesus gave believers in Matthew 18. 
You know, go to the person. Don't go to somebody else. Go to that person. If you can't resolve it then, bring in a witness. If you can't resolve it then, it's like, hey, bring the church leadership and, and, and get them involved in it. And so there's a process on how to come to a place of agreement. And at the end, well, in the middle of Matthew 18, after conflict, Jesus is addressing how to deal with conflict. He says, if two or three of you agree in my name, I'll give you whatever you ask. How many problems could be averted if we just personalized and owned our convictions? Which comes to number eight is be open to being wrong. We all get it wrong. But do you know what pride will do? Pride will get you defending wrong. Pride will get you justifying wrong. It's like somebody who has a lying problem. They tell a little lie and then they need to make up a bigger story to justify that lie. And soon the story becomes so elaborate. It's like, hey, you would have been better off just owning that you made up that little lie. Uh, In fact, uh, Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And repent is, uh, is simply to say, hey, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Repent means to change your viewpoints. Change your view, which is so important. We all get it wrong. None of us get it right. We all have a perspective that sometimes can be wrong. Or we see things in part, but we don't see the full picture. Now, number nine is don't let the issues crush you. Wow, a lot going on in the world. I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 131. He says, I do not concern myself with matters beyond my grasp. In other words, there's a whole lot out of my control that I'm not going to focus on right now. He says, I've calmed and quietened my soul. Like the soul of a weaned child. My soul is within me. And he goes on, he says, put your hope and trust in God. So often we can let issues around us and conversations weigh heavy on us. I found the best way is when issues become heavy is pray. Yeah, that's right. Pray. Pray. Because God sees everything, knows everything, is all powerful. Pray. Get Him involved. Cast your cares on Him knowing that He cares for you. So pray, and the next thing is don't delay or avoid. One thing I've found is nobody has ever procrastinated their way out of a problem. And when it comes to issues, big issues, so often we can say, well, what are people doing around the world? What's happening around the world? Well, we've got to personalize it ourselves. Well, how can we be part of the answer? What can we do? Because everybody's got good ideas for other people. But let's make sure that we're taking steps to be part of the answer rather than just highlighting the problem. And number 10, last one, is minister the love of Jesus. Minister the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that compels us. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the love of Jesus. We're going to be motivated by His love. And we're being reconciled to God. That word reconciled simply means to return to favor or to receive one into favor. We're being reconciled 
to God where our past, our mistakes, uncounted against us. But because of what Jesus did when He died on the cross, you and I can have a new life. See, Jesus bridged the gap. He crossed over the divide. There was a separation between man and God. But what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary, where He died and He rose again and He broke the power of sin and death once and for all, means that you and I can live in right relationship with God. Where there was a divide, we are now reconciled to God. And from that place, God then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's where you and I need to fix our faith. I believe the church can cross divides that others can't. Because we've got God. We can access the wisdom of God. So many people today, they're fighting fire with fire. And it's just escalating things. Sometimes, you know, when you argue, if you're married, yeah, you can think, man, what the heck am I arguing about? What started this whole deal? And it, it just comes in and it escalates and it goes beyond. Sometimes even in an argument, you can be saying the same thing. But you're saying it from different angles. How many have been there before? And that's why it's so important that we get context. We step back and go, God, help me understand. Because I, I feel like God's anointed the church. People who want to be followers of Jesus. To cross over chasms that in the natural seem impossible. In the natural, some of the issues right now is like, wow, how's this going to be mended? How's this going to come together? Let me tell you how it's going to come together. By a supernatural move of God through the power of the gospel, the good news. Where we don't view our future through our past. But we understand what Jesus did when He paid the price of our sin. See, the biggest problem in the world right now is sin. But the good news is Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross. He forgave us because He loved us. And He did it so that we might be reconciled to Him, that we might be in relationship with Him. So then we could see the people around us as He sees them. Every person you come into contact with is a child of God. They're a person that God loves. You can't love God and hate your brother. You can't do that. Those two things can't coexist. If you love God, His love will flow through your life and minister into the hearts of people around you. See, I really believe today God wants to reconcile relationships. He wants to reconcile cultures. He wants to reconcile families and marriages. Come on, He wants to reconcile things that that people are trying to figure out but are impossible to man. But here's the thing, with God, all things are possible in Jesus' Name. Come on, wherever there's fracture today, wherever there's you know things that are miles apart, 
And then you think, man, I don't know if that could ever come together. I want to prophesy over your life that God has the ability and He wants to reconcile those things in people's lives, in our communities, in our cities, and in our nations. Come on, it says we put our trust and our faith in Him.